You are tuned to CICK News on 93.9 FM in Smithers, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 a.m., 2 p.m., and 4 p.m. CICK News is your news source for regional and provincial news with a local perspective. It's hosted by Dan Messick and myself, Pamela Hassan. Find and follow CICK News online at smithersradio.com and frequencynews.ca or wherever you get your podcasts. CICK News is funded by the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Government of Canada. Today, on the first day of February, I'm sharing two conversations with you. The first is an update from a former Canfor employee who lives in Houston, BC. Annie Usanovich worked at Canfor along with her spouse and her father. When Canfor closed down the Houston sawmill, the town was in a state of total uncertainty. In January of 2023, the Canfor sawmill in Houston announced it would close down operations in April, putting 300 people out of jobs while the board members of Canfor could decide if it was financially feasible to demolish and rebuild a new facility or if they would decide to shut down this facility completely. In July, an answer came by way of rebuilding a new facility. However, that still left hundreds of people out of jobs in Houston. Annie is on the news today to talk about life in Houston since the mill closure, as well as her own silver lining. My name's Anala Yusanovic. I am born and raised in the town of Houston, BC. Um, my family had immigrated here. My mom and dad had immigrated here from Bosnia, Sarajevo, from the war that they had. So they have been living here ever since. They got a sponsorship through the church, moved here not knowing a lick of English. They were lucky to get sponsored through a church and have housing through a church member. My mom had started a job working at 7-Eleven up until and afterwards when she was pregnant with me. She had applied to HFP relentlessly every single day for a very, very long time. My dad had started at the Camphor Houston Mill. I had worked for Camphor as a student back when I was still in high school when I was about 16. And then I later returned a few years after graduating. I, I had made the decision to return back to the mill where I would have been there for three years that fall of the closure, so September And yeah, the closure really came to a surprise for myself and my spouse because during COVID, he had also gotten a job with Camphor working in the sawmill on cleanup because he had worked for an industry in town that cut him down to four days a week and it was just very hard to make ends meet. Yeah, so I I think that's kind of the gist of sort of what the last few years have looked like for us. We bought a house uh, just barely a year before the closure where we lived together. Can you tell me what went through your mind when you heard that the mill was closing and how did that change your daily life? Honestly, it it came as quite a surprise. Like we had many curtailments. It was something, you know, that we ultimately pushed through just being on EI. So when the mill had closed, it kind of just shook our lives upside down. You know, my spouse had started a millwright apprenticeship. So basically that had gotten down the drain. I was trying to get into the health and safety aspect of things to be kind of the coordinator of people who deal with the new hires. So I was very disappointed to have never gotten to pursue that role. And he was very disappointed not to pursue millwriting. Like I, I cried like a baby at the announcement when we were given the papers. And there was such a heaviness throughout the town and throughout the mill during that last time of operations. You know, you could feel the energy in the air. It was very hard to, to deal with and to be present for. Annie, being a first-generation Canadian, how do you think that informs your approach to uh, to job security? 
I didn't necessarily have any transferable skills or anything like that. It's it it like I you know did not see anything like that happening, and I didn't realize that that would be pulled out from under my feet in such a way, and not having transferable skills like a, you know an apprenticeship or any diploma as far as that goes, it, it became very hard to kind of be like, well, what's next, you know? We were given options to transfer to other mills and for them to help you with relocation, but it just didn't feel right for us to pick up our life, to sell our brand new house, and to ultimately maybe just get shut down or curtailed again, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, are you currently working at the Legion? Yes, I am. Okay, so you're working at the Legion, and are you in school now too? Yes, so I'm starting the February cohort for a healthcare assistant. It's a program through the Coast Mountain College in Smithers as well as Northern Health. So it's a paid opportunity to um, get yourself certified as a care aide. Being paid to go to school is is truly a blessing amongst all of this because I'm not going to lie, we spent the last years really burning through our, our savings and just trying to, you know, stay afloat. And my, my spouse ultimately ended up just going to camp to try to make some kind of comparable money. So he's up in Bruce Jack on a two and two. Yeah. I mean, it really does sound like you are someone who hustles and doesn't sit still for very long. So it's a really positive thing to hear that you took something like the closure and something that would affect so much yourself, but also people so close to you and turned it into something like going back to school, you know, and also to finding a way to go back to school and get paid to go back to school. I mean, that's so impressive, but I know that that's not everybody's story in Houston. So, you know, talking about what the next couple of years look like in Houston, what do you think is the most important? Is it job security? Is it food security? I would say honestly, all of it. Um, I'm very thankful that, you know, myself and my spouse, that we don't have dependents because I'm seeing many people that worked at the mill that had children being forced to, you know, go and work away and be away from their families or to downsize into smaller houses or to eliminate loans that they had. And it's been such a big shift for them. But my heart really goes out to those that had really expensive, you know, like rent prices. They didn't own a house with an affordable mortgage like I thankfully do. And I'm, I am concerned about, you know, how are they paying their rent? How are they feeding their families? Everybody's kind of being forced to move away or go back to school. And it's, it's very tough because with such a large portion of Houston's CAMFOR employees, a lot of them have spouses who are nurses or teachers or are in the pharmaceutical industry or anything like that. So then it's not that we're just losing the camp or employees, we're losing their other half. And you're seeing these openings for jobs come up because they had no choice but to go somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. It really does sever a town when your number one employer tells you your job doesn't exist, but to wait for it to come back. I mean, that's just, it's just, it's not reality. It's not how people can live. Now, Houston did offer some help with property taxes, which we were speaking about before we were, were recording to kind of defer property taxes for a few extra months, especially for people affected by the mill closure. Do you feel like the town has helped residents through this transitional time? 
I do feel like there has been some help in regards to like free courses, like something like an OFA level three has really helped some individuals to stay employed with the mill as uh, working for state and security. It has also, you know, heightened their chance of getting that callback and it's also allowed them to have a smoother transition to go into, you know, like mine or camp work. As far as everything else goes, I'm not sure if there's been anything for grants or like help for like housing or food. The only thing that I took advantage of was just the delay in property taxes. So instead of being due July 4th, 2023, we were luckily able to wait until October 31st, 2023. So I think that that helped a lot of families that I've spoken to to just have that extra few months to, you know, see what's happening because I, like a lot of people, generally have, you know, property taxes set aside, but when your job's taken away from you, you start dipping into those savings and you dip into them fast. Yeah. So to be given those extra few months to maybe have started a new job or to seek out some other options was a was a big help, you know, not to be not to get penalized by paying so late like you normally would. Annie, I really appreciate that you've given me the time to talk today, but was there anything that I didn't ask you about that you think is important for people to know? I have seen some beautiful stuff come out of this. Like I have seen, I talked to somebody that I used to spark watch for, uh, a millwright who is now started to write a book. I've seen people like myself go back to school and, you know, rekindle these kind of passions and feeling like they have, you know, a bit more of a purpose in life. So I just really encourage people to just try to look at the bright side of things. Um, try to do best of the situation that they can and to really just fall on any support that they may have. I'm very thankful to have the support that I had and to have family members in such a similar situation. And it's that's been a big help for myself and my family personally. Yeah, absolutely. And that is something too, right? It's, a, it's nice to kind of see success stories of the human spirit overcoming something as major as this. So that is that is pretty beautiful. Of course, yeah, like you, we've, you know, Houston's been put through the ringer before and we've always kind of prospered and some of the businesses that I have spoken to personally have told me that they aren't struggling as much as they thought that they would be and that's a very nice thing to hear because it's it's very unfortunate to see small businesses, you know, have to close their doors or have to do layoffs similarly to what we saw over COVID. I thought it would be more comparable to that, right? But yeah. it's, it seems that Houston is still trying to find a way to prosper and you know, we're, we're finding a way to stay afloat. And I hope to see that through the continuation of this and until that new mill is built. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Yeah, thank you too. Thank you to Annie for sharing her story with me. Next on today's news, I'm speaking to Lori Gallant about a proposal and pilot project she's been leading to bring a compost program to the Hazeltons. Lori is the executive director of MASH, and she's on the show today to explain who and what MASH is and how they plan to reduce waste and increase beautiful organic matter for the residents of the Hazeltons. Oh, hey, everybody. I'm Lori Gallant, and I'm the executive director for MASH, which stands for Making Agriculture Sustainable in the Hazeltons. So I was wondering if you could describe what MASH is and what MASH does for our listeners. Yeah, for sure. So we're a nonprofit group. We started up in 2017 and we're just kind of focused on localizing our food system and building resilience in the face of climate change. I've lived in the area for a really long time and my background is in environmental planning. So this just sort of seemed like a real natural evolution and MASH has been de delivering community forums on food security 
We've been offering Apple pressing services since 2020. We have an equipment lending library for preserving your food. And we are now starting to get into like bigger projects after we did a strategic planning exercise. We identified that in order to have more food security, we need soil to grow our food in. And it turns out that the soil around the valley is pretty depleted and, and lacking in some pretty essential minerals. Mm -hmm. We've done soil testing on our farm, so we know for sure <laughs> that it's pretty crappy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it just sort of felt like composting was a real missing link between having more local food and actually being able to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, I was reading the the community of Hazelton's and like the municipalities not really like no mention of composting in their strategic plan. So what is the plan that you're proposing? Awesome. Yeah, it is not completely true that there's no mention. You just have to know where to look. Okay. So it is mentioned in the regional district of Kitimat Stikine's solid waste management plan. Um in 2023, they adopted a new plan and a composting facility for the Hazeltons was identified. Oh. And when they did an upgrade on our local solid waste management facility, they actually did put in a concrete pad with the idea of being able to capture leachate, you know, like the gross liquid that comes out of garbage when it starts to decompose <laughs> and for aeration that is like getting enough air into the organic matter that you're trying to compost to reduce odors and just make sure that that process is heating up and decomposing as quickly as possible mm -hmm. so it's only mentioned there and, you know, one of the things that we all love about the North is having lots of space to yeah. do whatever you want, but it also means there's not a lot of people here and every local government here is really strained by their capacity. We only have so many people that can make these things happen. We only have so many tax dollars to fund these projects. And that's why you'll see there's a lot of nonprofit groups. I mean, your radio station is a perfect example. You know, like people come to the community, they identify what's missing. And if they have the right background and the skill set to make something happen, then they do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, me and you were, were kind of similar that way. <laughs> well, that I'm in great company. <laughs> <laughs> so now this is going to air on first day of February, but um, tonight on the 31st, you're presenting to the Smithers Climate Action Group. So can you talk a little bit about what you're presenting? Yeah, for sure. So Smithers Climate Action Group is one of my favorite groups you know greg tamblin is is third leader and he's got such a solid background in environmental science that it just sort of seemed like a natural for him to to take that on so they have been working on you know trying to help our community and hold our community accountable for reducing greenhouse gas emissions mm -hmm. and identifying projects that 
are actionable uh, at a grassroots level. So for right now, they're doing like education, bringing in guest speakers. They have a great tree planting project that's been going on for a couple of years. Yep. So I don't know if you're at this place with the composting plant, but are, are you talking about working with the solid waste management facility that exists or people, individuals can implement their own composting in their properties? A little bit of both and yep. also neither. Okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> Covering all the bases. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so our project is to actually use a privately owned piece of property and get our own facility happening there. And the reason for that is that I am just, I'm kind of really based in realism and practical solutions. And I just know, because I, I have worked in local government for a really long time, that independent groups can work a lot faster. Yeah. And you might also get more buy-in from the community. Like we're not forcing anybody to participate in our program. We're providing an opportunity. So we're really lucky because I, I have been pretty proactive about involving the district of New Hazleton, which is closest to where I live. Mm -hmm. And they appointed one of their counselors to work with MASH as the food security liaison to, to council. And he called me up last November after we did this big open house to show our community survey results where composting was ranked number one, by the way. Yeah, And cool. he said, Lori, I have a site for you to do the composting project. I'm like, are you kidding me? So he's the one that found the site and invited me there to look at it. And it is right across from the visitor information center, like mm -hmm. on the highway where you turn off to go to Old Town. And it's a really big property. It used to be an old chipper site. And I've met with the uh, property owners and they want to do something good for the community. They want to build a good relationship with the community. They want something for the future. So when they met me in all my exuberance and enthusiasm <laughs> <laughs> and I told them about this project, they just thought it was great. So I really like it when things are easy yeah so and it just kind of felt like well this is almost too easy why would I say no I don't think it's too good to be true I think sometimes you know the time is just right for a project and um, because the solid waste management plan like I was saying earlier has identified this and because anybody that's a gardener knows that composting is truly like the very best thing for growing food yeah any farmer knows that the first thing that you should grow is soil I I just think it's a bit of a no-brainer so it's it's not too difficult to get people excited about this project very cool I don't know if you have time to talk about it any further but what would be from your perspective but also maybe people in the community who aren't used to composting what would be the biggest changes for them in how they work with organic matter that they would normally be throwing out? Yeah, so I want to answer your question directly, but I need to back up a little sure. bit. Sure, yeah. So first of all, this year, 2024, we want to start with a pilot project. And, you know, there's a lot of technical considerations when you're doing a project like this. 
we want to make sure that we have like really reliable feedstock because our main goal is to produce like a class A compost, um, which means that we would be testing for trace elements to make sure that there's nothing in there that would make it not suitable for agricultural uses. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. So for this year, we are just going to focus on having like a one day drop off where people can bring us materials and we would have someone there to make sure that there's only food waste in there. Mm -hmm. And I guess the pickup service that we're planning to offer is going to be for businesses that produce a lot of food waste, grocery stores, restaurants. Yep. I'm also just starting a conversation with the Rinch Memorial Hospital here and their administrator is 100% into diverting their food waste. Very cool. Yeah, it's really exciting, actually. Like when I saw her reply and how supportive she was, I thought that is amazing because you just need to start with like one person and then you can say to the next group, oh, they're going to do it. Maybe you should do it. Yeah. You know, so just for the record, too, like Bill and I, my partner, we did a little composting pilot project in the Hazeltons before. Back in 2012, when we first moved here, we were driving our little truck around and picking up food waste from the, from the restaurants and bringing it back to our farm to compost. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So well, it's reviving a dream. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you two are just so involved. And I think what you've already said once, which is just sustainability, preserving the beauty that we can still experience now while the world around us keeps changing. Even, you know, what is it, 12 years after that pilot project that you're coming back to it again, get, gaining new partners and, and just being able to build it in a really natural way. Yeah, and speaking of partners, we have an exciting new development in partnerships that we're building. Those of us who love mushrooms will be familiar with Chris Azula and his business, Aurora Sporealis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have set up a, uh, a composting advisory team uh, with different community members to make sure that, you know, we're not missing anything, that we're getting good feedback as we go along to make sure that we're covering our basis. But Chris and I are really committed to the idea of introducing mushrooms that are specifically designed to quickly break down carbon sources so things like he told me turkey tail and artist conch, which are also like indigenous to this area. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be introducing these mushroom spawn blocks into our compost pile as an experiment. It's going to be part of our pilot project. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Lori, was there anything that I didn't ask that you think is important for people to know about this project now? Yeah, so this project, it's going to take like a lot of resources to get off the ground. And we're working really hard to get all of those resources into place. I've applied for some grants and we are going to the regional district of Kitimat-Stikin February 16th to ask them for financial support for our project. Yeah. So I want everybody to know that this really is an experiment. We're here to collect information and to learn as much as we can. 
And then we will be reviewing the results and bringing it back to our project partners and seeing how can we implement this on a broad scale and have a permanent composting facility. We might end up at the composting pad that is at our waste management facility. We don't know yet. So we're just asking people to stay curious, Mm -hmm. support us. We might make some mistakes as we go, but where our heart is in the right place and we really are tight on our design like we we really are checking off all the boxes here and working on our compliance and our testing we have contracted environmental scientists to help us with the compliance and monitoring piece Mm -hmm. so we will be sharing information as we go And we will be offering some community education too. I know that a lot of people aren't composting because of the bear scare piece. And and if you've ever apple pressed, you'll know too, there's a lot of apple mash left over when you do that juicing. So we always are trying to find somebody to take that away from us. So now we'll be able to compost it ourselves. Very cool. But yeah, so there's that piece and which gets back to your earlier question, like there will be a community education piece to teach people about backyard composting, and they can come to our site and drop off materials as well. And my intention is to actually have like a, a three bin backyard style composter that we will operate to show people that this is a, a design that we recommend and here are the tips and strategies to reduce attractants that would bring animals into your backyard. Thank you so much for speaking to me about all of this today. All right. (laughs) Thanks, Pam. You've been listening to CICK News. If you have any hot tips or news stories you think we should cover, Contact us at CICKNews at SmithersRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at CICK News. CICK News is made possible by the Government of Canada and the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the only organization mandated to financially supporting campus and community radio stations across Canada. You can also catch our fresh shows each week at theskina.com or subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks to our producer, Pam Hassan, and all of our roving reporters, I'm Dan Messick. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 